Blog Talk Radio. Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Join America's leading relationship expert, top holistic life coach, and best-selling author, Dr. D. Yvonne Young, along with a diverse team of regular commentators, experts, and celebrity guests. Be entertained while being informed on the issues that affect you most. Don't miss it. Dr. D. Yvonne Young, providing you the tools you need to start living a profoundly extraordinary life. Good afternoon, America. Today is November the 27th, 2013, and I have a, uh, just want to say that I have a wonderful, wonderful show for you guys today. Um, I love seeing ordinary people do extraordinary things. If you're like most of us, there are times in your life where you get these little glimpses of whom you are created to be, what you're created to be. The opportunities uh, present themselves in such a magnificent way. And the issue is nothing seems magnificent about the presentation at all when it's happening. As a matter of fact, uh, we often looking at situations where we are questioning in many ways, what is, um, you know, what is the meaning of what's going on with us right now? Why are things happening? Why do I find the, um, the challenge that's present in my life? Why does it seem that every time I want to turn left, something makes me turn right? Every time I want to go up, something pulls me down. When I want to go through, something blocks me. Well, with all of that said, I want you to know that there's definitely a reason for such. You know, when we, I was talking to my producer about doing a series of programs, one of the things that came to mind was this is a holiday season, and which I guess going on now 12 years ago, I buried my mother uh, this same week, as a matter of fact, and it was not fun, just being uh, totally honest with you. I, it was one of the worst seasons in my life. Mom died. I found that the caregivers and the people, um, some of my father's relatives, because dad, mother was an only child, had taken the liberty of embezzling almost every dime we had. And I say when people get you, they get you good. They created a fake power of attorney. They went through the safety deposit box. I mean, man, I was sitting there literally uh, a basket case. Can you believe that in the midst of that mayhem, that was God setting me up for a blessing. Now, the question is, how in the devil do those two things connect? Well, I'm glad you asked. They, had those things not happened, had those situations not been made manifest in my life, there is no way that today I would be Dr. D. Yvonne Young. I wouldn't have the opportunity to spend such beautiful moments and times with you. This show would not be on the air. And all of those things that took place were the birthing stool of what I could call the Dr. D. Yvonne Young experience. Well, I want you to know I am not alone in that. I have a guest on my show today that this, oh, God, this woman is phenomenal. Not only is she beautiful on the outside, but she is extremely um, beautiful on the inside. And the things she does and the lives that she touches, and um, it, it amazes me how someone could be so humble, that how someone could have such a, uh, such a big presence in such a tiny little frame, and to do so with such meekness and humbleness that when you say a Proverbs 31 woman, uh, if you look that up, you would probably see her picture. The person that I'm talking, to, talking about is Kim Burrell. Uh, in case you've been living under a rock and you've been incarcerated in a jail off on some island somewhere, you know who this woman is. She is one of the biggest voices in gospel music um, that 
I'm going to go into some of her antecedents because uh, when we started doing the background on this show, I was so fascinated. But uh, I made the comment earlier that God will give you a foreshadowing of greatness prior to you arriving on that central stage. Well, in looking at her career, I saw that she was part of James Cleveland's Kids Choir. Now, I know I'm dating my age, and any of y'all that's hating, don't hate. I still look good. But the truth of it is is that James Cleveland was a, a, a powerhouse in gospel music, and it just amazes me how anointings get transferred. So I'm saying that to say that when uh, I, I understand that Kim is definitely in right now in studio, so we're going to bring on in a second. But I do want to say this is that there, for you that are listening, and that are about to spend a holiday, kind of like I spent my Thanksgiving holiday 12 years ago dealing with the death of my mother and all of that stuff, I want you to know that in your darkest hour, that's when it's so easy to see God's light shining in your life, that the very things that you feel were meant to curse you are really what is the point of breakthrough, which is the place where you're going to be ushered into a destiny that is far greater than anything that you've ever dreamed. You know, it says that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, neither is it entered to the hearts of men the goodness that God has for you. And to prove that, I have someone that is is the walking manifestation of such evidence, Miss Kim Burrell. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the program. Hi, Dr. Young. I appreciate that so very much. Thank you. Oh, I, you know, I'm so excited to have you here. I, want, I was doing a series, and um, when I talked to my producer, I wanted to do something, especially around this holiday season, saying how ordinary people, which there's nothing ordinary about you and your character, but you walk and you talk and you go to the restroom like the rest of us, but God is using you to do such supernatural, extraordinary things in your life. Would you mind sharing with us uh, what, uh, what a day in the life of Kim Burrell is actually like? And I'm not talking about the star. I'm talking about the woman. You know, it's hard to separate because even when I'm doing something that's considered uh, a star quality, I'm I'm just being Kim. And I know what you mean. I know the difference in the environment and demographic of what those mean. But um, every day of my life, um, especially these days, um, I I can honestly say I I never saw this part of my life coming. Um, I am going through one of the the deepest valley experiences of my life. It's amazing that when I tuned into your broadcast that you were talking about the death of your mother. Well, fortunately, that's not my case at the, at the moment, um, but uh, my mother has been given a very short time to live, and she's dealing with stage four cancer. And this is the hardest part of my life because I'm her caretaker. And some people would say, oh, how do you lead a life of Kimberrell? and be a caretaker. Well, when it's your mother, all things stop. And um, I'm not an only child, but that's my only mother. (laughs) Yeah, wow. You know, in saying that, uh, first I want to dedicate today's program to your mother, and this is a global audience that's listening to the show, so uh, I want to send a shout-out to everyone in Australia and the Virgin Islands and the Caribbean and Canada and just ask that all of you, join me in praying for Kim's mom because we know for a fact you, like you said, you only get one mother. And uh, I was reading something that took place in your life that is very similar to what happened in mine. Uh, I got a phone call, and that phone call said, well, you know, your mother just passed. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm at U of H. And it took me an hour to leave the campus an hour to fly from Houston to Dallas, an hour to go to Fort Worth, and I go there, the hearse is outside, the police are out there, and I said, if you could just leave me alone with her for a moment. Mother had been dead over right at four hours. And the nurse, the cop was still sitting out there, the man from the funeral home, and I, I, I you're going to laugh at me, Kim. I didn't believe in talking in tongues. Child of T.D. Jakes and Pastor Robinson got hold of me, and then I started doing it, and I didn't believe in touching and agreeing and all this. But I started doing it, and I laid my hands on my mother, Kim, and prayed over, and mother got up. What? After 
Yeah, after four hours of death. But I see you have a similar story. And would you mind sharing with us what happened when you were at the hospital and uh, the CPR procedures? Well, first there was this lady had a heart attack. She was on a stretcher. Tell us about what happened that day with Kathleen Gooden. Kathleen Gooden was um, a member of the audience of of an event that Dr. Bobby Jones had, and and I happened to be a part of that, that particular weekend, and that night had been such a high time in God, and I have to mention that because that is what primarily triggered or ignited me to um, react the way that I did. I had just left maybe a day or so before from uh, an a revival service in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And it happened to be in a service with a woman who had had a much history of raising the dead. And it just so happened that she shared some of her personal stories with me a day before I got there. And so I went there and Kathleen Gooden fell out in the service and everybody started to pray. Dr. Bobby Jones asked me to come on stage and to pray. And when the paramedics came in and they brought the defibrillator and they were working on her and beating her and beating her, trying to get her to come back, um, they actually put her on a stretcher and put her in an ambulance. And unlike probably some uh, other artists that may, you know, have uh, assistance in you know in their in their in their transportation, I'm just the kind I go to a city and it just depends. I I get a rental car and I happen to have one that night. And the Lord told me, follow the ambulance. I didn't know this lady. But the reason that I followed the ambulance is because I I just could not, for some reason, settle with the fact God is sovereign. He does what he wants. And I agree with God um, 1,000%. But that particular night, it was as if the enemy was so mad at how high the service was and how blessed it was. And there was no carnal activity. And every person was just on it. And there was no personal attachment, per se, to the outcome of the service. I wasn't the coordinator. I was just a participator. But I just couldn't allow the enemy to allow that night to end that way. So I got in my rental car. I followed behind the ambulance and got to the hospital. And I went in through doors that I knew that I was not welcomed. And uh, the doctor said, ma'am, you cannot come back here. I said, excuse me, please, if you will just allow me to touch her for she was in the service where we were. And if you will just allow, are you family? I said, I'm not in her immediate family. Well, ma'am, we're going to have to ask you to leave. But I said, I'm going to have to ask you, may I stay? And the man said, okay, just a minute, please. And by this time, they had covered her up, face included, with a sheet. And I put my hand on her foot, and I called her by her name, and I told her to take her grave clothes off. And I walked out. Mm. I went into the waiting room, and as I exited that area where she was into the waiting room, her children were coming in at the time. And uh, the doctors had opened the door, and I'm thinking they were coming to tell the children that their mother had expired, because she had. And uh, they came in. By this time, the lady had been dead probably about an hour. And um, the doctor said, she's back, she's back, she's back. And uh, that was the very first experience that I ever had of, of releasing my faith as you did I released my faith And just touched her and called her by name Kathleen Gooden take your grave clothes off And mm. evidently Her spirit hurt me Wow You know, you know when I hear something like that um, I, I, I go back to My early days um, In walking with God Which I was brought up, I, it, you, I might as well have been a default PK, meaning preacher's kid, but mm-hmm. what happened was my father was at a little bitty church in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, named St. Luke, and he would have me out there with him painting the signs, unstopping toilets in the bathroom, all this mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, Daddy, I said, man, Reverend Mitchell can afford this. Why are we always working at the church like slaves and blah, blah? And he says, son, I want to tell you, I am not doing this for Reverend Mitchell. He said, matter of fact, I'm not even doing this for the church. He said, I'm doing this out of selfishness. I'm doing this for you, for me, and for your mother. But he said, mainly, I'm doing this for the Lord. He said, and one day you will understand that. And what I see with you, Kim, is that, 
um, I was watching Sunday Best, and I I would look at how you look into the eyes of these young hopefuls. Um, one of them came from St. John's, as a matter of fact, and and I was watching you as you would touch their spirit through a few moments of coaching. And that's what I do for a living. You know, I'm a holistic coach and all the accolades and all that. At the end of the day, what I do is I bring people to a point of transformation, but I didn't cause the transformation. I just make them aware that if you don't really open your eyes, you're going to miss what God is doing. How do you take people that are so already phenomenal and help them to see something greater than themselves in that moment? I, in some way, have an anointing and a gift to, at times, reintroduce them to themselves in the moment. Because sometimes when you're in the middle of a moment, it represents so much. And I don't ever like for them to get lost in what a moment has to offer. I remind them to be the creative director in their moment, to not allow the moment to define them, but to reinvent themselves in the moment, to take advantage of the opportunity to highlight the innermost part of themselves. And it's not about, you know, ultimately what they can present to convince a world, uh, a culture, to believe in their gift. To me, it's about a moment of them having uh, a reenactment of all the moments before then and to put all their energies into making every past, present and future moment count. And so that's my directive, is to just help them to see that it's so much more than just the TV and people that you see and don't see. It's about you giving yourself an opportunity to become the full you that you can even in this moment. As we, as you talk to these uh, young people and, uh, you know, even some of the old, I remember Elder, Elder Goldwire when he was on um, – <laughs> This dude was so phenomenal, and I had an opportunity to speak with him, and I asked him, I said, man, where did you get your energy? I said, when you get through singing, I feel old. And I was looking at I'm serious. If you guys can go back and just Google this guy, uh, he was phenomenal. But when I was looking at uh, Miss Rollerson, and I watched you talk to her one day, I saw – Tears well up in that young lady's eyes. Um, I saw uh, just the Holy Spirit, and I saw God's presence basically being transferred, like like I would say with James Cleveland and you you being that little girl in his choir. I saw this transferred anointing take place. Um, who out of some of those contestants have been the people that have touched you the most? I would uh, say some of my most memorable moments were with uh, Andrea Helms, who happened to be a runner-up and uh, didn't win the year that I believe Amber Bullock won. And the reason being is because I know that she was in a different environment demographically, but she was able to embrace um, God in her. And then our personal moments revealed to me so much of what her perspective is on gospel and her delivery and, you know, her participation in her local assembly and her assistance with her husband, that that meant, meant so very much. Uh, of course, I think I, I, I would need to mention Leandria uh, because Leandria's story is so very unusual. And I think one of the most important things about that relationship that I was able to embrace is uh, – being able to see a person who didn't necessarily meet the regular go-to-church Sunday meeting criteria who still had a desire to, you know, to convey the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, she's a preacher's kid, but not with the idea of, you know, fitting with a preacher's kid look, you know. got to dress a certain way. She came in with flip-flops and a big idea, you know, and a big, huge voice. And um, and she accidentally bumped into a part of her destiny, so to speak, that she was able to build upon, continues to build upon in her dealings. But I, um, she is one, and as well as Andrea Helms, but also Tyler Little, uh, who was a contestant on this last season, young guy, um, 
who to me has such great talent from Chicago and who I still believe has a great, great future, excuse me, has a great future in gospel music and uh, is such an old soul. So, of course, Elder Bill Wyatt <laughs> Wait, I got to just chime in. I, I apologize for interrupting you, but old soul is right. You and uh, I, I guess everybody that had something to do with that show kept referring to these old spirits that these young men brought to that stage. <laughs> I, I swear, it, it reminds me, because I know um, when I came up, and I'm fi- I, I'm not ashamed of my age. I'm fi- fabulous. I am fabulous in 52. And yeah. I'm looking at these young men, and I'm going, you know what? I haven't heard people sing with such um, a command of spirit and such a, uh, an awareness of the relevance of the lyrics. Yeah. When you sing, I hear in your voice a testimony that resonates beyond what's being done instrumentally that resonates beyond even the vocal performance, which is always at a 10 level. But what I hear is an urgency. I hear a passion and I hear a connectivity to that which you are, I'm gonna, not even going to use the word singing, I'm going to say that which you are immersed in and that you're presenting that immersion to us as an audience. What are, if you could name three songs and tell me why these three are three things that you sing that really almost make it difficult for you to complete singing the song because it resonates at such a core level with you. What three? You know, the absolute first one that came to my head was um, It Is Well With My Soul. There was a time in my life uh, growing up in a in a home that, that your father's a preacher, your mother's an evangelist, missionary, they taught you to believe God for your soul to be saved and to trust him to live a saved life separated from sin. But that didn't become very necessary to me until I really realized uh, how imperative it is to have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life as your Savior. Um, just kind of floating off of their testimony and hoping that one day I would get into heaven based on their yes to God was pretty much where I lived for quite some time. But when I learned to sing and play for churches, one of the things I learned was the lyrics to this hymn, When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. I think the line of that is whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. You know, um, I can honestly say that I had a pretty good life growing up as a kid. At least uh, our hard times were made to believe that they were fun times. So I, I, I give so much credit to my parents for guarding us with such great energy and great uh, love and support. But whatever my lot that has taught me to say came from my experience of having more than enough. I started very, very young in this business and had great, great opportunities early on and made some pretty good money. But I realized at a certain time in my life that uh, everything wasn't about the money. So that whatever my lot, whatever my situation, whatever my plight, whatever my my moment, thou has taught me to say, <laughs> it is well with my soul. There are some things that happen in your life that... Uh, you don't really care. I don't know. You know, I don't know how many church people would admit that. But even with the God and the Holy Spirit and all the things you know, you, there comes a time in in one's life that you get to the place. I don't really care about what happens to me. I don't, you know, you get whether it's because you're angry or you're going without or you just don't want to fight anymore to go try to get where you're headed. I learned that whatever my life was taught me to say. I know I took a long time on this that one song, but that's the song that kind of gets me. It makes me kind of break it all down. And then I love my love album, the very last album I made, because I think it was one of the first times in the history of my 27-year career that I was as vulnerable and open and uh, just kind of out there, in-your-face kind of energy. Uh, I took that route because the church can serve you a mask and can almost convince you to wear it until you really realize who God is for yourself. And I don't understand it. I'm not dogging the church out of the church has created ways to, you know, mask sin so that it won't look like we're discrediting what God can do and what he is and, you know, that we are 
you know, devaluing our testimony of him being a bird and a savior. But um, reality sets in when you realize that you do love God, but then you've chosen to love other things outside of God that doesn't necessarily represent him. <laughs> so again, doing that, um, I just kind of freed myself in doing the love album. And not admitting to sin, but admitting to the church, there's so much more to God than just talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There's a thing called love that I don't think we get to. Uh, we don't frequent unconditional, unadulterated, in spite of love. We we churchify everything, and we use such religious motives to enhance or to cover up or to answer for our for our nature. And there's a part of us in all of our lives. I, you know, I, I met a lot of people who are saved and who love God, but I'm sure that there comes a time in their life that they just want to enjoy being normal, regular people and interacting without feeling like there's a come-to-Jesus moment. And uh, so the Love Album served like that for me. And I love those songs on there because they represent so much more than the song title and the, and the melody. It's a message you know, just like I wrote the song, um, let's make it to love. You know, do I speak or do I not? That Those are the feelings and moments I had with certain children. My insecurities have me so held back insecure. But are you listening or are you not? Um, I don't want to spend my time trying to create relationship with someone who has no interest in me outside of the God uh, in my life. And so those songs like that. And then, you know, I love all of Walter Hawkins' stuff. I've been influenced and blessed by so much. But but that's my answer to that. And hopefully it wasn't too confusing. But No, it's not confusing. It is, as a matter of fact, it was the perfect setup for the next thing um, I wanted to ask you. And, and that is, you know, I, my experience has been when God was working with me the most, I didn't like it. As a matter of fact, I'll be just quite honest and say that um, I've never, ever not believed in God. I've never, but I ain't going to even lie, you know. Um, um, I've been upset with him. I've mm-hmm. even felt like he abandoned me. I have. Um, I know the day that uh, I went to the funeral home, everything's embezzled. Mother died November 8th. 8th is the day before Thanksgiving. I got to bury my mother. I'm going to preach her funeral. I'm getting death threats. Nobody's there but me and the funeral home staff. And this one old man kept coming to the funeral home every day. And he was a friend of my mother's from Hempstead, Texas. Mother was 84. You know, I'm an adopted, but mom was 84. And he said, well, I knew you were going to bury and I didn't want you to be alone. And I, I, God only knows I felt alone. And, mm-hmm. and I remember looking at that man and I, the, the flowers that are atop a coffin had wilted and I felt just as wilted as those flowers. And I was riding behind my, the coffin at the cemetery. And right when they were lowering her coffin, the the one of the men that worked at the cemetery said, "Well, uh, man, how are you handling this?" He said, and the police officer said, "I'm I'm sorry, you have to go through this alone." And I was like, "Well, I can't put my children at risk. Can't my mother was a famous woman, and I, you know, that's not the way she should have been laid to rest." And I'm sitting there, and I heard a voice tell me, "All of this is working for your good." And I sure, I, I swear, Kim, I did not believe that no more than I believe and I'm a six-foot-nine white man. I mean, I did not believe <laughs> that. How could that be working for my good? So my question for you is, and this is hopefully this will bless and this will help somebody today, when have you been in such a dark place that even in the midst of turmoil and what appeared to be tragedy, was God speaking to you and saying it was going to be okay? And I guess here's what I, I want to frame this question well. Can you tell us about the place where you felt at your lowest point, and could you tell us how later God used that moment to raise up a standard so that when the enemy did come in like a raging flood, you had been inoculated by that very moment? You know, uh, it is probably 
will seem to some a very popular moment, but uh, a lot of people didn't know that Whitney Houston and I were as close as we were until she passed away. And I particularly believe it is because I chose and she chose not to reveal that to a lot of people because our friendship was very personable and it was not it was not um, celebrated as a celebrity friendship. Um, she was more like a sister to me. And what made Whitney my sister was not the association of her her high level, you know, iconship, should I say. And not about her being the world name she was. It was our private moments and the times that I had to spend with her when no one you know that moment you said when you were by yourself? I had moments like that with her and no one was there because she didn't want anyone to know the condition she was in at times, emotionally or otherwise. And I never forget when uh, I got to L.A. and found out that Whitney had gone. Uh, she had just left a message on my phone, and I didn't quite understand why she wouldn't answer the phone because my primary reason for coming to L.A. was because I, that year, actually, I had been nominated for a Grammy, and I wasn't going to go um, mainly because I think I've been in the business so long that you really realize the politics of music, and I just wasn't going to waste my time. Um, but I was honored, and I didn't want to disrespect that honor. And so I flew in, and, but she called and said, I want you to go to Clyde Davis's party with me. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go because it's the role I was playing in my life at the time I needed to be there. Well, longer story shorter, um, I just never expected for her to leave me a message and then I had to call her back once I landed that she wouldn't be available to speak to me ever again. And uh, I went through every stage and phase of grief that I that I could and uh, I don't know who this is helping today. I pray it's helping someone because we are talking about loss. And I think that's one of the hardest things to deal with during the holiday season. But this is my story. My pain of standing in that funeral home during the private moment that I was allowed to have with her to see her body personally was a moment that I couldn't get enough answers in that moment. And I dealt with such anger. And, and, And I couldn't. The only person that I felt could answer me was her. The truth because I always, always requested and at times demanded the truth from her, and she gave it to me, but she would always give me an explanation of why. And that's why I trusted her to tell me her story. But standing there not able to get that from her frustrated me so very much um, because I could just imagine her saying, I'm the only one you can get it from. Anybody else is going to tell you the truth. <laughs> and um, just kind of standing there and asking her, and I was touching her, and, saying, Whitney, you know, really, really? Why would you do me like this, really, you know? And, you know, you, you never share closeness with a person that you just, you're so close that you figure before they die, they at least let you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's a closeness that, that, that you have that you, you're so close that you feel like right before they take the last breath that you would just absolutely know it, that they would make sure you knew. And that's how we were. And uh, it was in that moment. And I never forget about two months after we laid her to rest, I was here at home in my bed at 4 a.m. There was a lot of times we talked during those moments. And it was as if that girl came in my room, I swear to you. It was as if she were here. And I was so angry. I was so mad. I was so disturbed. And I had embraced emotions that I had never embraced before. Um, when you are a nurturer like I am by nature, and when you're a person that's a caregiver and you like taking care of people and there's a part of you that your hands are tied in the worst situation of your life that you feel, and then you have to understand my entrance into Whitney's life was that of a form of rescue and a form of help, a form of sisterhood, listening here. And I was faced with the reality that I couldn't make myself available in that capacity anymore. And I was hurtful in so many ways. And um, the the hallelujah moment is that my sister in in God, who I share leadership with in Church of God and Christ Music Department, Judith McAllister, ran into me one year later during our convocation, and she said, you know the the scripture that talks about if something falls into the ground, will it reproduce something else? Mm-hmm. And she says, I want you to know that if Whitney had to be that seed that had to fall to the ground, 
to produce something else, she would not have minded. It was that moment that wow. helped me to accept her possibility of just not being here because I knew that. I knew that, that she was such a giver. She and I were talking right before she died, about a month before she died. I told her, this is a sweetheart, you know, you spent 25 years at the top of your game. You don't have to sing another note. Your name, your image, your your catalog of music, your history, your your itinerary for the last 25 years is proof that God meant for you to make an impact on many lives beyond your singing. I said, what I think you should do is do a documentary, and it's so amazing because in the next few months the documentary will, will be revealed, and I'm a part of that along with Pat, her sister and brother, her mom, and just a few others, David Foster and uh, the other baby, uh, I sound so stupid because she's a world name, and Jennifer Hudson, you know, a few others. But um, that was the moment with Judy talking to me and helping me to realize this is what she would have rathered than to just keep everything to herself. So I, it has taken me a while, and it still does. There's still a very sore spot in me because uh, when you lose somebody that you truly love, it's very painful. So... That's my story. You know, um, that is so profound because I think that people can listen to us all day long and and they can hear all of this, how you got it going on. And, um, you know, I'm looking at Preachers of L.A., and one thing that I'm loving and when I watch this show is that no matter how much Hollywood tries to make this show about bling, bam, and boom, these brothers keep bringing it back down to God and back down the basic elements, you know. And with that story that you just shared, all that's going through my mind is uh, something that I heard Mr. Winan say. He made the comment that Whitney took everybody to church that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whitney took the entire world to church. And for some people, they have never even been to church. And and when you could see Alicia Keys and see you and, and see all of these people that stopped Kevin Costner, I mean, whoever thought Ray J and Kevin Costner would be in the same room? I mean, you know, they just, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. Who would think, you know, here you are uh, with R. Kelly breaking down, crying. Uh, I mean, that you look at this moment, and and as much as Whitney – could be like the rest of us, imperfect. I know doggone well I still use Kim more than my fair share of four-letter words and a few other words. <laughs> I know that I still have – well, Kyle, I swear, I, you know, I'm struggling with two things, cursing and peach cobbler. Uh, but those two things are what Satan sent to keep tempting me to go to the dark side. And, and I keep uh, – every day I'm struggling going, Lord, you know what? Um, I'm so glad that you will use ordinary people. I'm so glad that you will take the least of these, those of us that are so imperfect, those of us that are struggling to find ourselves. And when I looked at you, you know, I was uh, even talking to my producers, and we were, uh, and we are going to play some of your music going to, at the end of the show. But I think I just don't want to interrupt this conversation because I think at the end of the day. God did not have you on my program. People know how beautiful your music is. They don't know the story. They don't know all of the times that Kim Burrell had to take a deep breath and not feel like singing one note and go up on that stage. And none of us knew that the tears that were forming in the corners of your eyes were personal. None of us knew that you did not feel like walking in, standing in front of the microphone. None of us knew that you were going through your own torment when you were inspiring and guiding us towards something greater. What I want to know is when you talk to the Holy Spirit and you really need to get some feedback, you need to get a message, what's your method? Because there's somebody listening to this show right now it feels like God ain't listening, and they don't even know how to talk to him. So what advice would you give them? And now I'm talking to Pastor Kimberell. My advice in a case like that 
in the situation that a person says, oh, God doesn't hear me, is whatever faith it took for you, you may not have labeled it as faith, but whatever it is that it took for you to get out of the bed was your act of faith. Because who says you were supposed to wake up and then who did it? You have to realize who did it. Well, somebody touched me and shook me, but they didn't have the ultimate power to make your eyes open, to cause your lungs to continue to expand and your heart to continue to beat. And the moment you took a, a step to get out of the bed, that was your way of saying that I trust something far more than me. And there comes a time that you just got to allow yourself to believe that there is something greater, someone greater. And I know him to be God, and I know him to be a God that sent himself to the earth through a man he named as his son, Jesus Christ, who died, I believe, for my sins and for yours. And it is my prayer that every moment of your day that you will allow yourself, when you conclude that whatever life is bringing you that's beyond your control, beyond your uh, rationale, that you don't trust any more of yourself, you're in the perfect position now to just lay all your cards on the table and open up your spirit, your heart, your mind, whatever it is that gives you the idea that there's a possibility of someone greater than you, and it has to be God. Allow him to speak. Allow your inner man to receive that that God would speak to you. And the way you know it's God is he will challenge you at times to say and do things that is out of your reach, sometimes out of your normal activity, normal behavior. And God is such a God of peace and not a God of confusion. He will never cause you to cause harm to yourself. Just listen to your innermost, deepest part, and don't ever forget that the Word of God is there, the Bible. Find the Bible. Our answers are in the Word of God. And read the Word of God. All of it is good. The interpretation is what makes the Bible the revelatory piece of work that we need every day of our lives. It doesn't matter. You say, but I'm not going through any sickness. But even if you read that he's a healer, he could be touching other parts of your emotions. It may not be physical. It may be other things. But the word of God is your answer. And so I say today, trust your innermost, deepest part of you that causes you to say, I'm going to get out of this bed. I'm going to open my eyes. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to drink water. Whatever that functioning is, is a part of you that you keep open for God to use. You can make it. When you've seen um, such times in people's lives where they feel that God is simply not listening, um, I know for me there has been one of the things, uh, Pastor Robinson, he's in, I keep mentioning these two names, Rudy and Pastor Pastor Robinson, but Robinson is the right-hand man to T.D. Jakes. And when Bishop is busy, Pastor Robinson is the go-to man, so to speak. And one day he told me, I was having a day, I'll just be honest and transparent, where I just really didn't even feel like living no more. I was um, very stressed out, feeling that everything I tried never worked, feeling that um, if I were to do one small thing wrong, I would get indicted where someone else could commit the most egregious act from sodomy to murder and they'd get an award for it. You know, I was just going, okay, you know what, God, what am I? Am I your joke? Am I your punching bag? Am I, um, what did you create me for? Because you were bored and you had leftover parts. I mean, what was going on? with Were you making me? And Pastor Robinson pulled me to the side, and the potter's house had that green carpet. I know if Bishop Biggs is that he'll laugh, but uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, if you Google Ark of the Covenant, you will see me sitting in that church that day and the potter's house. But I was right after that service, I pulled Pastor Robin. He said, I want to tell you something, man. He said, you are so much stronger than you think. Yeah. He, he said, you know, um, the enemy would not attack you the way that he's attacking you unless he knew what God had planned for you. Sure. And he said, he can't stop it. So what he wants to do is he needs you to abort the delivery of what you've been birthing because he can't stop it. But if he can get you to abort it, you can kill the promise. So um, my question of you is what is a scriptorial reference or either a lyric 
or maybe just a thought from the depths of your heart that you could share with us that can help someone get through a moment like that? You know, um, first I want to let you know that you're not the only person who has felt that way. It's almost as if when you were describing your lowest moment that you were taking words out of my own personal time, you know, and I have felt that way as well. But my deliverance has been through the word of God in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I don't know if you've heard. It's actually my favorite. The first two words is what has recovered me, and it was being confident. And that was an area of life. I didn't have much of a fight. It says being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. I had to wrestle and argue with he which had begun a good work in me because that that, that that I knew about, my talent and abilities, didn't seem to be like a good work. It just seemed like a pastime, something that people could use to make their moments go. And then God said, why would I use you if the, in those moments if those if, if you were not needed, if what you had was not uh, an answer to what their needs are? And the Lord allowed me to look at it in a different way. So I've taken that scripture, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's my hope. Wow. That, you know, I live by that. I, what I want to do is uh, my producer found something that I wanted to share. Uh, first, I just want to do a little, this little two-minute interlude. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're, you're listening to Conversations with Dr. Devon Young in a very special broadcast today, our Thanksgiving show with Kim Burrell. And I'm gonna, we're going to play a two-minute interlude, and then we're going to come right back. Julia, go ahead and cue that in. Here to surprise her with a special tribute, one of Miss Houston's favorite voices on the planet, Miss Kim Burrell. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, there are two things that I want to do, uh, Kim. The first one, I want to take a moment and say a prayer for your mother. Is that okay with you? Please, I need it. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, it is written that anywhere two or more are gathered in your name, that you are likewise in the midst. Father, your word says that it would not return void, but it would come back perfecting that which you sent it forth to do. Your word says that which you have blessed cannot be cursed. And if you would be for us, nothing and no one and no set of circumstances could be against us. Father, your word says that anywhere two or more are gathered in your name, that you are likewise in the midst. Today, as we are on this global broadcast with people listening all around this world that you created, Father, I ask that you lift up Kim, her mother, and her family. 
I ask that you be the comforter for you said you would leave with us a comfort, and that comfort is the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I seek your very presence, and I ask that you manifest yourself in the shape, form, and fashion that each individual needs. I ask that you comfort her mother, that every day you hold her hand, that you be the great supplier of all needs to her. Father, your word says, train up a child in the way that child should go, and when they go, they will not depart. And that woman trained this child, and she has not departed. And it says, honor your mother and father so that the days will be long upon this land, and I ask that you make Kim's days long and bountiful. Father, I want to thank you for everything that you've done because eyes have not seen nor ears heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man the goodness that you have for this family, for you, they have declared as for that house that they would serve you. And, Father, yeah. more than anything else, your word says that if we would just believe, for it is impossible without faith to please you, for that very faith, Father, that is going to be not only the substance and the evidence of all that is unseen, for, God, you call these things that we cannot see. You said call those things that are not as though they are. So we call right now harmony, peace, joy, love, understanding. And above all, you said your people would perish for a lack of knowledge. So make us wise so that we can see your hand and understand the very person, the significance and the relevance of each moment. For what has been loosed on earth, we loose in heaven, and what has been bound in heaven, we bound on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, I, something just led me to do that, and that is the first time I've ever prayed on my show where everyone oh, could hear me anyway. <laughs> wow. But, that is so I'm so grateful. You have no idea. No, uh, no. We, you know, Kim, we love you, and we know that. Uh, for you to take time during a season and a holiday season where you didn't have to do this show, God had you do this show not for my benefit, though I am so very grateful, not for Julia's benefit, and she's grateful, and I'll speak for her. But God had you do this show because there's somebody out there right now that's going through something, and they don't have a big name. They don't probably have much uh to even be excited about, but this program today touched them, and that's why God has you on the show today, and I know that. I'm very proud to be a part, and to be honest with you, it has to be a God thing because it's been a long time when I've been able to just be on the phone for an hour. So my life has been so inundated with taking care of my mother and seeing to all of her requests, uh, which uh, that time is getting very close to doing, but this has been... Uh, most amazing. I I would I don't know if you plan to talk to me about what I'm doing right now, um, but I would love to speak about it if I could. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Tell us what's going on and how we can support you, where we can come see you, and just give us everything we need to know. Well, I'm excited to present uh, for the ninth year. Um, a convention that God gave me called Ephesians 4 Conference. If you read in Ephesians chapter 4, the entire chapter, it gives us pretty much a synopsis of what the true purpose of uh, Christianity and the gifts are. We're really, really for it. We're focusing on verse 12 um, this year. Uh, of course, we're familiar with verse 11, and he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And that's what we're for, the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And that is my main interest. I don't know about anybody else, really, that I'm, I'm just, you know, to the church I'm speaking to, I'm just beyond going to church to go through the motions of church. I like going to church now as if I were a first-time goer because I want to be able to know that I'm receiving all that whoever is in motion to do ministry, all that they have been equipped and designed and anointed to give me. And that's what these three days are for, December 5, 6, and 7, here in Houston, Texas, at the Greater Grace Church. Um, there's so much information to go and read about how to be that. We're having... Uh, the most incredible three days, I want to say, on earth. Uh, the Ephesians 4 conference is going to cover 
every one of the gifts that I just named. And maybe some say I'm not an apostle, a pastor, teacher, preacher, none of those things. I'm a lay member. This convention is especially for you because sometimes we don't know what our posture should be. We don't know what our mindset should be. And sometimes we're the greatest asset to ministry when others don't like what's in leadership or what's on the floor. We're the responsible parties to make church make sense by our response and by our prayer lives. And so these are three days of pretty much iron sharpening iron, Uh, three days of people coming together to say, I'm not jealous of what you have. I'm enhanced by what you have because it shows me so much more the creativity of God that 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 you do that I could never do, it, 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 it absolutely thrills me to see this side of God in someone else. And that's what these three days are for, December 5, 6, and 7, here in Houston, Texas. And for more information, go to KimBorellMinistries.com, and you will click on the Ephesians 4 uh, icon. But we are um, gearing up for that. You know, it's amazing because I, I need all the support that I can, and I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking about emotionally because that is the actual weekend that, According to the doctors, they said that that's the weekend my mother will be leaving this earth. But, you know, I have so much faith. I don't believe that God would have done it if he didn't have a supreme plan beyond it. And it is Ephesians chapter 4. It is us exercising the fullness of our gifts. And that's what I'm having to do these days is believing that the pastor that he called me to be, the evangelist that he called me to be, and the fullness of the capacity of that. And some people say, okay, now don't get too deep now because that is your mother and you should be preparing yourself maybe in a different mindset. No, because she's such a woman of God. She's given all of her life to the church and to people. And that's who I've learned it from. That's where my inner strength is coming from because it's a representation of who she is. And I even to try to be sad and pull the covers over my head, it doesn't match who she is. It would only be selfish of me to do that right now because I feel like every moment of my life I'm living for her and that's on purpose and uh, I can live me without trying but to give a little bit more effort to live her right now is my interest and so December 5, 6, 7 we'll be celebrating and I'm praising and believing God that she will still be with us and uh, we're carrying on because that's what she wants me to do and she's been helping me to plan and the little strength that she has talking from her hospital bed she's been saying Honey, have you done this? And are your guests okay? And are you doing this? And are you doing that? And uh, absolutely, because she's trying to find a way to make sure I stay strong with the gift of God that started. And that's the reason I shared that emphatically today, that being confident has had to stand up in my life this week, the last two weeks, being confident that God has started something in me, that I have to continue to do it. And it's not selfish. It's me continuing the work of God in the face of adversity, in the midst of trial, that I, there are souls who don't know the story of my mom. There are souls out there who say, I need what this conference offers. And so from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Joyce Rogers will be joining us to, in, joining us to preach the word of God. And the one and only Break Every Chain, Tasha Cobb, will be ministering that opening night. And the next night, uh, Prophet Todd Hall will be preaching the word of God and uh, sharing with us in ministry of music is Pastor Jonathan Dunn, who is an amazing gospel artist as well. And then that Saturday will be Mentor Moments with Kim Burrell, where we'll sit from 10 a.m. to 12 noon to do nothing but talk about specifically pretty much what I do on Sunday Best, and that is to interact with those who register and say, I want to be a part, and I want to sing, and I want to find out what my inner voice is truly saying. And we're going to contribute to that. And then from 1 to 3 will be a an hour, a couple of hours of people trying out, so to speak, a showcase uh, for singers to sign up to say, okay, I can, I will, and I shall be the singer, the performer that God has called me to be, and whoever that is that we choose will be the opening performer for Saturday night's concert, which will be uh, with myself, Jay Moss, Jonathan Nelson, Diane McClurkin, Vanessa Bell Armstrong, Brother Haas, who's an incredible rapper, uh, Pastor Tim Rogers and the Fellas, which is an awesome quartet, contemporary quartet group, and so many others. And some of the best that Houston has to offer to minister through praise and worship. And my friend and sister, Dr. Judith McAllister, will be with me as well for the praise and worship perspective. And so it's going to be three days of amazing God gifts at work and pulling from each other and on each other to get out of us what God has put in us. Well, I can tell you, I know that sounds like Mega Fest Houston to me. Um, <laughs> I would definitely make it a point to uh, try to attend at least one of those days to uh, be there. Uh, I want 
to urge everyone that is listening to this, whatever country you're in, and especially if you happen to be coming to or in the Houston area at that time, please support that because I think that you will be enriched by just being in the moment in such a beautiful experience. Thank you so much. And for those who can't make it, I want to invite them to feel free to contribute if I can. Just go to KimberrellMinistries.com and follow the prompts. Hey, that sounds great. Kim, I want to thank you so much. We have, uh, we're we're going to uh, do something else different today. Instead of me exiting the show with one of my little uh, phrases, we're going to uh, exit the show with the full version of Let's Make It to Love from the Love album uh, by Kim Burrell. And I want to tell you, Kim, um, know that even when this show is off the air, that you are loved and prayed for by everyone as part of this team, Jaylene Mack uh, especially. Uh, definitely was talking to me about doing, uh, that you're doing some projects next year. And we want to have you back on this program, uh, you know, it, probably before year end or, uh, in January so we can revisit. And uh, we love your mom. We're going to be praying for your entire family and especially your dear mother. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Pam. All right. We love you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Kim Burrell, the phenomenal Kim Burrell. Uh, before we uh, go off there, we're not going to end with my music. We're going to end with a song from the Love album called Let's Make It to Love. But I want to wish everyone listening a very happy Thanksgiving. And I want you all to know that you're not alone. Um, sometimes we it, it is really sad that we pick one day out of the year to be thankful when we should be thankful every day. But in as much tomorrow is definitely a day to say thank you to those who you take for granted, those whom you have not seen, and those who you see on a daily basis. Reach out and touch somebody and know that God has not left you in this place. If you got your master's, get your go ahead and get your doctorate. If you got your GED, go ahead and get your associates. But whatever you do and all you're getting, get a good understanding and don't stop getting, you know, God only steers moving vehicles. With that said, keep it pushing. Um, we have a heck of a show for you on Sunday. It's going to be an awesome month of December, and happy Thanksgiving. I love you guys so much, and keep me in your prayers and know that I'm praying for you. Now we're going to go out with something really wonderful. This is Let's Make It to Love by Miss Kim Burrell from the Love Album. We love you. I just wanna lie.